It's 1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Eric just mentioned Insight 2018 uh, ticket sales are robust. Matter of fact, I was getting the update from that. Um, going to be a great event headlined by my conversation with Governor Scott Walker. You can see him there in person below the Attorney General. And we've got a great lineup. And um, I would love to see you there as well. Tickets are $25. They're available at WTMJ.com. You see Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018. It is at the Country Springs Hotel on Wednesday night, March 28th. We're also going to be joined by, for example, the conservative candidate for the state Supreme Court. That election is going to be the following Tuesday. So a lot of great stuff going on and hope to see you there. And like I say, robust ticket sales so far. That will be fun. Insight 2018. Get your tickets now. In addition, we will be giving away pairs of tickets to Insight all this week. Um, but, but look. Here, here's the deal. You know, don't let that stop you. Go out, buy your pair of tickets, buy four, buy eight. And then, you know, if you win an extra two, eh, just two more friends to bring along. So hope to see a lot of people out there. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's show. Um, coming up in just a few minutes, they're going to be releasing the results of the latest Marquette University Law School poll. That used to be the gold standard for polls. And then just like so many other polls got it wrong in 2016, the Marquette University Law School poll got it wrong. But I think, again, it's an interesting snapshot, even though we all take polls with a grain of salt. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Big story number one comes from the world of entertainment. I I did this so you did not have to. Um, actually, my family did this so you did not have to. Last night... Were the Oscars. Now, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I did not watch all of them. But my wife watched almost all of them in the adjacent room. She was watching them in the living room. And, and I, I would go in and out on, on various things. At one point in time, my wife, who was texting one of her dear friends, came back and said, Colleen and I agree. This is just incredibly boring. Well, yeah, it was. And so, I mean, she said boring. I would tune in from time to time and... I know my, my friend and colleague Steve Scafidi didn't think that they were overly political. Every time I turned them on, I heard somebody preaching about this or that or the other thing. I, I heard one person after another talking about, well, we're immigrants or whatever. Of course, the, the that being a knock for people who don't believe, I guess, in, in open borders. I mean, for example, nobody has an issue. I don't think many people have an issue with legal immigration. The problem is illegal immigration, but that kind of gets lost in the thing. So when I was watching it, I found it to be boring and preachy. Other people I know just found it to be boring. The early numbers are in. And um, again, these are the early numbers, so they are subject to change. But um, it, it was it was a bomb. Now, you, you got to understand, it's still the Oscars are going to draw like around you know, 31 million viewers. So that's still a lot of people. But compared like year to year, no. Here's the deal. The numbers um from last year to this year, from 7 to 10 our time, prime time. And I understand it's going to be adjusted a little bit because it, it ran long. But the numbers from this year to last year were down 15.6%. Again, that's just the prime time portion. You'll get the final numbers later on. Last year's Oscars landed a 22.4 rating in Nielsen's overnight's um, that was down 4.3% um, from 2016, and that was down 8%. 
the 2017 Oscars eventually tabulated 33 million total viewers, which was down 4%. The estimates are that um, this one will do less than that. It might be on track to be the lowest Oscar perform Oscar show ever. Um, and for that, you got to go back to 2008, which was the lowest ever on, on record. All right. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I understand. First of all, you know, 30, 31, 32 million viewers, that's a lot of people to watch an event. At the same time, fewer and fewer people are watching the Oscars, like fewer and fewer people are watching these other events as well. These award show. I think it's because of a couple things. First of all, I, I think... People are turned off by the politics, and people don't like to be preached to. That was one. Number two, I, I just I don't think that there was any sort of breakout movies this year. Um, my my guess is a lot of people, including myself, and I'm a movie fan. You had had certainly hadn't seen the majority of the things that were nominated for best picture, and so it was kind of like okay, who cares? But I do think I think it's the preachiness that turns a lot of average people off. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It appears that this might be the lowest rated Oscars of all time. Um, I think part of it was because it was just flat boring. And when it wasn't boring, I thought it was preachy. What did you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Did you watch the, the whole thing? And if you watch the whole thing, why? We'll be back with your calls in just a minute. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner, 1214. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Giannis and the Bucks prep for a Central Division matchup as they head to Indianapolis to face the Pacers. Ted Davis gets you set for tonight's tips, starting with Buckshots 540. 414-799-1620. 1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, seriously, how many people even saw the, the film that won the best picture, Shape of Water? How many people um, three months from now or six months from now are going to even be able to tell you, you know, what picture won for the best picture? I mean, I think this was one of these years where there was, in general, I don't know, sort of a, a malaise. I don't think there were too many of these movies that got people, you know, excited about this. Let's see. Susan says, we watched the majority of the show. Only thing that saved us was the mute button. Mute button. Didn't have to listen to the preaching way too much. I realize these are important issues going on, but leave entertainment as entertainment, not getting on an orange crate. Yeah, see, that's what I think a lot of, and this is, of course, where, it's no surprise that you have the folks in Hollywood who want to go out and they, they want to be preachy and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, I think once you move away from entertainment, especially in this the lefty bubble that is Hollywood, you have a lot of people who just say, eh. Um, let's see, Jeff and Fox Point text. I didn't watch it at all because in addition to the preaching, I think the Academy is more concerned with appeasing certain groups and promoting causes instead of what are the best movies. I also hated three billboards. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I, I didn't actually I didn't get a chance to see that. Let's see. I'm of the millennial generation. It's not the preachiness that turns us off of shows like this um, or the NFL. 
It's simply that we don't watch broadcast television. I watch everything on demand with a Roku. I think there's a lot of older folks that tune out for preachiness, but that's not the biggest factor. Now, see, I, I, I disagree on that because these are comparisons from year to year to year. You don't lose 16% of your audience from one year to the next because suddenly everybody started watching it on, on Roku. And I'm a fan of Roku, by the way, but I, I just I don't think, I don't think that that is the explanation. I understand that you've got other different places where people can go. It's sort of like the Olympics. You know, one of the things that, you know, NBC was saying when they were trying to explain why the Olympics ratings were down, well, there are all these other platforms that you could watch them on, but they encompassed all the different platforms. And if you look at it, most of the people, you know, ended up, again, watching it on the old-fashioned TV um, Roku or streaming services or whatever. I'm sorry, that just, in my opinion, doesn't account for that kind of drop. 414-799-1620. Dennis in Kenosha. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thank hey, you guys. for taking my call. Sure. Um, did Co- Kobe Bryant received an Oscar award? He I did. find that troubling, especially this year with all the sexual assault allegations coming from the Hollywood, that we trot a guy out that in the seventh year of his basketball career was arrested for raping a woman. Um, it, it is the ironies. The, right. I, I, I'd use the word irony. That might not even be the best word to describe it. But yes, in the era of Me Too, the Hollywood elites decide to give an Oscar to Kobe Bryant, who you are exactly correct, you know, is in fact, at, at best, he is a rapist. Now, he ended, he ended up, he worked his way out of that by paying her off and all. But, yeah, what does that say that Kobe Bryant gets an award? Well, I don't want my daughter, who's 13, idolizing some of these people with the morals that are just repulsive, Jeff. This is repulsive behavior, and it's almost putting it in our face to, to tease us and say, hey, we're going to show you this, and we're going to mock you. Well, um, no, thank, thank, well, it is. And again, this is this was always the irony of Kobe Bryant. I, I just after Kobe and and if people remember might not remember the story, but it was during the height of his career. He was married. He might still be married. Um, he goes off to have knee surgery, I think, or something like that. He checks into this place. I believe it was in Colorado. Could be wrong. And within a couple hours. He's having sex with the concierge or some woman that works there. She says she was sexually assaulted. Ultimately, he pays her off. And then I, I just I remember I, I remember for the next couple of years, you, you you watch all these kids come into the Lakers games and they're, and they're smiling and they're wearing Kobe Bryant jerseys. And I thought, you know, what what sort of message, I guess, are you sending? So it is interesting to me that in this Me Too era, you know, you're still going to be the Academy decides we're going to give a war to uh, an award to, you know, Kobe Bryant. That's uh, our text. Of course, the viewership was down. Um, middle class Americans resent being told how to think by Hollywood's elitists who live in wealthy bubble worlds. Um, yes. Another text. The film awards show up become political and preachy. It bothers me the way certain voices automatically assume their audience shares their liberal beliefs. Meanwhile, these some supposedly liberal people are treated like royalty with the red carpet and all, and they lap it up. Doesn't seem very liberal to me. Yeah, all of this kind of comes together. And I, I think you couple the fact that it was preachy 
with the fact that nobody cared about the vast majority of movies that were out there, and many people probably hadn't seen the majority of the movies that were out there. And then you add in the fact that, in general, I think it was pretty darn boring, and you get what might, might go down as the lowest-rated, least-watched Oscars in history. But let's bring on more Jimmy Kimmel. It's 1023. This is Jeff Wagner. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Is the United States government handpicking winners and losers by implementing tariffs? John McCure and Melissa Barclay explore at 430 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. Over the weekend, one story after another in the usual places, the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, the general theory. Well, here's the way the Washington Post's headline reads. Pure madness. Dark days inside the White House as Trump shocks and rages. First part of the story. Inside the White House, aides over the past week have described an air of anxiety and volatility with an uncontrollable commander-in-chief at its center. These are the darkest days in at least half a year, they say, and they worry just how much farther President Trump and his administration may plunge into unrest and malaise before they start to recover. As one official put it, we haven't bottomed out. Trump is now a president in transition, at times angry and increasingly isolated. He fumes in private that just about every time he looks up at a television screen, the cable news headlines are trumpeting yet another scandal. He voices frustration that son-in-law Jared Kushner has few on-air defenders. He revives old grudges, and he confides to friends that he is uncertain about whom to trust. Trump's closest confidant in the white in the West Wing, Hope Hicks, the communications director who often acted as a de facto Oval Office therapist, announced her resignation last week, leaving behind a team that the president views more as paid staff than surrogate family. So concerned are those around Trump that some of the president's oldest friends have been urging one another to be in touch, the sort of familiar contacts that often lifts his spirits. In an unorthodox presidency in which emotion, impulse, and ego often drive events, Trump's ominous moods manifested themselves last week in his zigzagging positions on gun control, his shock trade war that jolted markets and was opposed by Republican leaders and many in his own administration, and his roiling feud of playground insults with Attorney General Jeff Sessions. To that point, former chief of staff and former head of the Republican National Committee and the Wisconsin Republican Party, Reince Priebus. Um, Reince, Reince is out. He's saying that uh, President Trump views Jeff Sessions' recusal in the Russia case as the original sin, and he is not going to let it go. In other words, that Trump just absolutely can't forgive him. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here is my question. Is Is this all a made-up story? Is this fake news? Or, in your opinion, is this legitimate? I mean, you could hear, I mean, you you read these stories one after another, and and you think days of rage. You, You think, you know, Nixon becoming increasingly isolated in a White House, feeling that he is being attacked on all sides. And as I've said frequently, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people are out to get you. But is this... Is this the beginning of the end of the Trump administration? The various attacks, the fact that, you know, all the people close to him or many of the people close to him have have now bailed. The whole insider network that helped him get elected is now largely gone. 
Many of those people are under investigation. Maybe it's a legitimate investigation. Maybe it's not. But but they're now gone. And you have an increasingly, at least if you believe the accounts, isolated president who's sort of reeling across the, the deck, um, the cannon going off in all sorts of directions, including, at least in my opinion, with his proposal about a trade war or his flip-flopping on gun control. I mean, that's the cannon shooting a hole in your own deck. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is President Trump losing it? And can he get it back? Twelve thirty-four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. First question the Marquette University Law School poll um, asked was, what do you think about Foxconn? And... Gee, surprise follows surprise. If you are a conservative, you support it. If you're a Democrat, a liberal, you you don't support it. Um, Their numbers are, let's see, 57% of voters statewide think Foxconn will substantially improve the economy of the greater Milwaukee area. 35% think it will not. Um, 49% think Wisconsin is paying more in incentives for Foxconn than it's worth. 38% disagree with that statement. Um, And again, this is one where depending on where you are in the state, probably does influence your opinion. If you're around here, particularly in the suburbs around the city of Milwaukee, I think people recognize it as something that's going to be a huge benefit for the area. And the farther you get away from southeastern Wisconsin, uh, the tougher it is for people to figure out that it's uh, maybe going to be a good thing. I The truth of the matter is that uh, I, I think... Foxconn is one where you're just going to have to wait and see how all this plays out. But I do not understand how, at this point in time, um, how anybody can oppose this. Now, it might be three or four years from now, you get into a situation where it doesn't make economic sense. Or five years from now or ten years from now, we find out that we've been played. But I just, you know, to, to say no at this point in time makes very little sense to me, unless you're one of these people who, again, is just rooting for um, Wisconsin to fail. Speaking about rooting for failure, one story after another over the weekend talking about how um, President Trump becoming increasingly isolated as more and more of his his close advisors leave, how upset he's getting when he watches the news and sees one investigation after another, more and more people getting charged or cutting plea deals. Um, and aides speaking again, as aides always do, off the record, because they don't have the guts to go on the record, saying, okay, th- this is really a dark time. We haven't bottomed out yet. And th- the question becomes, do you believe the president is losing it? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my take on this. I understand that you have a president who I think is being more viciously attacked by a a combined effort of the mainstream media than I think any president in U.S. history, at least maybe maybe at the end of Watergate, you'd have the same thing true with Nixon. But, I mean, there has been absolutely no honeymoon. And, you know, you just, whether you watch NBC or CBS or ABC or the talking head shows on the various cable channels, what you see is this relentless attack. And I'm sure that does, in fact, get frustrated. Here's 
what troubles me, though, and I think it's what should trouble lots of people. I think it is getting to the president, and that is kind of a scary thing. I do look what back on, on what happened last week. You have this big meeting where you've got Democrats and Republicans, and you're talking about gun control, and all of a sudden you've got you know President Trump sort of turning his back on a number of long-held Republican positions and saying, well, I could do this. And, and and the Democrats would say, well, you know, no president's ever done that. But, well, I'm not like any president. And so a lot of people walk out of the meeting just shaking their heads saying, okay, what what what's going on here? Then the NRA lobbyists go over, they have a meeting that night, and then these tweets go out saying, okay, ev- everything is fine, and you don't know where the president is. Then you have this complete and total, at least in my opinion, debacle on the whole free trade issue that rolls out yesterday or last week where the president decides, I'm going to take a policy which is decidedly, decidedly contrary to what have been traditional Republican principles and an effort to, in an effort to benefit a very, very small industry at this point in time, comparatively, I'm going to impose 25% imports on steel and 10% imports on, on aluminum, even though we only have two aluminum producers in the country already, and, and they're already at capacity. So the steel industry employs about 114,000 people, and so you're going to impose these tariffs, which arguably will drive up costs for consumers, but more importantly, will have this boomerang effect that if other countries retaliate, and they will, what we're going to see is consumer prices go up and exports from this country go down, which is bad for Harley-Davidson. It's bad for Wisconsin farmers, and it's bad for this country. And you have almost everybody shaking their head going, what's going on here? I do think you see a president right now that is kind of careening um, from issue to issue to issue. And I understand some people who are, you know, we, we love the president and he can't do anything wrong. you got to look at this because th- there's a lot of bizarre stuff that is going on now. And I'm not talking about the crazy tweets, and I'm not talking about picking fights with guys like Alec Baldwin. I don't care about that stuff. But I do care about saying, hey, I'm going to impose a 25% tariff on, you know, imported steel I think trade wars are good and they're easily winnable. Well, like I say, tell that to Harley Davidson or tell that to the dairy farmers who are exporting their products that, gee, these trade wars are good and they're easily winnable. Almost every estimate you see says that America is going to be a net loser. You impose these tariffs, that's fine, but the jobs that are going to be lost when other countries retaliate – um, are, are going to far exceed whatever benefit we might get into the steel industry. And you look at all this type of stuff, and if people don't want to say, "Hey, Mr. President, you know, you you got to you got to think about what you are doing." And I understand that you're frustrated, and I understand that you're angry, and I understand that when you say something and most people disagree with it because it's bad policy, you don't like to be criticized. And I understand some of the criticism is unfair, but you do start to look at what's going on now and you wonder, okay, who is going to be the grown-up in the room? And we've got midterms coming up. And I tell you, you've got the Democrats that have the long knives out and you have a lot of Republicans who are disillusioned, scratching their head going, what the heck is going on here? So when I read these stories saying they haven't bottomed out, um, White House aides just don't know how to deal with the rages and the the different you know inconsistencies 
I think there is probably something to that. And somebody's got to get some control. And it starts, I think, with the president. All right. When we come back, 93 to 7. 93 to 7. Stick around. It's 1242. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Market, University Law School, continuing to roll out their latest poll results. Uh, President Trump's approval rating in Wisconsin, 43%, with 50% disapproving. That's up slightly with June of 2017, when they asked the question, his approval rating was 41%. Um, so statistically, probably insignificant, but 43 to 50. Um, I guess I would be curious as to know what other presidents approval ratings were at similar points in their term um but you know underwater in the numbers that strikes me as probably where it is um democrats 88 percent of democrats 89 percent of democrats disapprove 89 percent of republicans approve among independents 34 percent approve 53 percent disapprove uh to the extent you bring believe polls that's of course where the battle is fought um, right track, wrong track question. Um, and it's always tough to figure out exactly what this means because, you know, you say, is something on the right track or is something on the wrong track? And somebody, you, you never know why it is that they give that answer. But, uh, in Wisconsin, 53% say state is headed in the right direction. 44% say it is on the right track. It's on the wrong track. Um, that's right track, wrong track number again is something that you look at and perhaps is to the extent you believe any of this is relevant in the governor's race. All right, here's the deal. Um, high school basketball tournaments have started, um, in many places, all the teams that participate get into the tournament. So you are going to have some mismatches. Let me tell you a story about the East Bridgewater, Massachusetts Vikings. It is a girls basketball team. They play a team from Madison Park, Massachusetts, the other night. They win the game 93-7. to 93-7. to seven. Um, After three quarters, they led 70-4. to four. And apparently, they, they, they played hard the entire game. The superintendent from East Bridgewater, the winning team, was appalled afterward. She called the game an unfortunate situation. This is not a reflection of our student body or our athletic program. She said that she spoke with the athletic director and, and the coach. 93-7, to seven, first round of the tournament. And, and by the way, this East Bridgewater team, it's, it's not even like a top seed. It's a... So that tells you how bad this other team must have been. They're, like the other team was like the 10th seed. This was like the 15th seed. But they crushed them. Now, here's the other factor. This East Bridgewater team, the team that won 93-7, to they only suit up eight players. So this isn't a deal like you have in perhaps a football program where you pull the starters and you've got you know the, the third string and the fourth string kids in. They only suit eight players up. So, you know, they, they, they only have a limited number of players to choose from. Um, and, you know, they were playing their rotations, but they did take three point shots. They did continue to play their game and they ended up crushing this other team. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Their superintendent was apologetic that this is not what we're about. This is appalling. We should not have done this. Here's my question. Is there anything wrong with what the coach did? Here you have a high school basketball tournament. It is clearly a mismatch. There's no question about that. But the coach only has eight players. What's the coach supposed to do? Is the coach supposed to tell the players, well, okay, I don't want you to take shots. I, I, I want you to essentially just dribble out the clock. Well, if that's the case, maybe should they have a mercy rule in the first place? I guess, and feel free to disagree with me on this one, I don't see this as being the winning coach's problem. He's got a rotation of eight players. Those eight players are apparently a lot better than this other team. I don't think you can tell a high school basketball player here not to try. Don't don't do your best. Don't take the shot. Don't play. If that's the point of it, then put in a mercy rule that ends the game after one team falls behind by 20 or 30 or 40 points and, and just end it. Or alternatively, I don't know, maybe say that some of these teams that aren't going to be competitive can't participate in the tournament. But I don't think it's fair to criticize the coach of the winning team for winning 93-7. to He played his players. They ended up winning. They clearly um, outmatched the other team. I don't think you can tell high school kids, and this was high school girl players, don't try your best. Uh, it, it just I don't think that that's right. And the problem isn't that the kids won 93-7. to The problem's not with the coach, and it's not with the eight players who were rotated in. The problem is either with a system that, again, allows these kind of mismatches to occur, or alternatively, it's with a, a system that allows the scores to be run up. I mean, put in a mercy rule. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the coach of the winning team do anything wrong by continuing to play the game? Should he have told his kids, I don't know, don't try to score, don't shoot, just pass the ball around? If that's the point, well, then why bother playing the game? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Paul in Redsville. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Yesterday, my son played in a basketball tournament in Reedsville, and uh, the team that they played against in the final game pummeled them 52-2. to two. Okay. And that's no kidding. I, mean, yeah. I swear to God, though, well, they played a team from Kohler. Them, everything them kids threw up went in, and the Reedsville kids, everything they put up didn't. Right. And it... Nobody quit. Nobody cried. They just, you know, yeah. they walked off the court at the end. Everybody, you know, see you tomorrow at school. You know, that's pretty much what it was. Right. And, I, you know, and as far as that's concerned, mercy rule, come on, give me a break. You know, it's like you said about, you know, you have eight kids that are getting rotated in and out. This might be their only chance that they'll ever, you know, they say, yeah, we played in this tournament and we won, you know, big. <laughs> well, well, right. I, I mean, I look, I, I, my, my nephew plays soccer, and he goes to some of these soccer tournaments, and depending depending on how the tournament is set up, I, we went to a game last summer where they were playing kids that were two years older than them and much further advanced, and his team got crushed, okay? You know, and, and again, I, I was sitting there thinking, well, okay, 
They're, they're playing with these kids that are bigger. I mean, they had really had no chance of winning the game, but I didn't expect the other kids to stop shooting or things like that. They're, they're out there to play the game, for goodness sakes. That's right. Right and and you right now thanks for calling. I mean that I guess see that's what the frustrating thing is to me. They're out there to play the game, and if you're going to tell them to do this, um, I, I, I get absent a slaughter rule. If you want to stop this, then you just put in the slaughter rule. Now I'm not arguing for that, but if this is going to be that issue, that that's that's the the remedy for this. Not telling kids not to play their best. Jerry and Appleton. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jerry. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, well, I told your screeners, first of all, I, I think all you can do as a coach is maybe, number one, get down to your last string if you got a lot of players. I understand this group. Didn't. They only had eight, uh, so they're rotating, right, right. yeah. Right, I understand that. That's all right, taken care of, okay. And and to maybe, like, I think of coaching football a lot, so, like, run a very vanilla game plan, you know, and, and right. not be running flea flickers and all, you know. Outside of that, I don't know what you can do. I I, I told your screener the story about my buddy, one of my really good friends. He coached uh, Pop Warner football up in this area and this is about 25 maybe years ago but his team was beating somebody like 50 to nothing or you know and like the commissioner of the league or somebody was there that came that was in authority a little bit came up to him and said you will let this team score on this drive so my buddy told this team, you know when the ball is snapped i just want you to go over and sit in the end so so in other words, we're not pretending. What are you supposed to pretend to be trying to stop them? You know, and then I, you know what I'm saying. It's well, no, almost- e- no, exactly. I mean, thanks. I mean, look, that, but these are kids, and the kids are out there again to play. And I, I don't think it's fair. I, look, I, I understand that nobody likes to, you know, be smacked down like this. But the kids are are out there to play, and I guess I just don't think it's fair to say to. The, the number eight player on this basketball team who's, who's now on the court, hey, I want you to go out there and play, but I don't want you to play your hardest. Let's, let's just, you know, pl- play at half speed or whatever. I, in many respects, I think that's perhaps more insulting to the team. I mean, if, look, if I was part of the SmackDown, if I was, if I was on the losing team, and I saw the other team was just kind of passing the ball around or kind of taunting us or not trying, I think that would be arguably more insulting. Like I say, there's all sorts of ways you can deal with a problem like this, but but to criticize the players for playing, I think, is unfair. And the superintendent, you know, who rips into the coach, well, this isn't us. Well, all right, what do you want the kids to do? Again, lots of stuff you can do, mercy rule. Not allowing these mismatch, uh, mismatches, and again, this team was only the fifth seed. Can you imagine what would happen if, like, uh, the team that ended up losing ninety-three to seven had to play the number one seed? It could have been a hundred and fifty to seven. It's twelve fifty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One oh nine, Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's just wrap up some of the other numbers in the Marquette University Law School poll. Again, you, you know, you can decide, you know, to take these polls for, you know, what they're worth, and you know that sometimes they're accurate, many times they're not. Um, polls have got increasingly, I think, more 
it's been increasingly more difficult to do this over time with any degree of accuracy. But here are their numbers. Like I said right before the break, um, Scott Walker, 47% approve, 47% disapprove. Um, that's essentially where his numbers have been for the better part of the last year. Tammy Baldwin, let me see, Tammy Baldwin up for um, re-election. Her, essentially the, the same sort of thing, Tammy Baldwin, let's see, um, her numbers, let's see, 37% favorable, 39% unfavorable. So, again, it, it shows that in the case of both Walker and with Baldwin, um, there, I guess there is a potential for some candidate to emerge. That's going to be the question, though, as to who it is. Um, let's see. One of the things that's going to be interesting to follow is the so-called enthusiasm gap. Uh, and th- this, this plays out in different elections to the extent it's true. 53%, um, let's see, 54% of Republicans say they are very enthusiastic about voting. 64% of Democrats. That, that's the enthusiasm gap. You know, which side is more motivated to have its voters turn out? And that's always a different challenge because, you know, we've seen over the last 10, 12 years, you've seen a number of wave elections, some for Republicans, some for Democrats. Back in 2008, you had a situation where um, you want to talk about an enthusiasm gap. Democrat voters were fired up to run out. There were people that would run through brick walls to vote for um, Barack Obama. There wasn't that level of enthusiasm for John McCain, and it showed. Similarly, that's flip-flopped over the years, and a lot of times you have the Republican candidates and Republican voters who are much more anxious to get out and vote. That, I think, is an ex- important number to try to figure out. Among those saying they will vote in the GOP primary for Senate in August, 28% support Kevin Nicholson, 19% uh, support Leah Vukmir, 53% say someone else don't know or refuse to answer. That is a very, very fluid race. And by the way, Insight 2018, March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel, we're going to be joined in person by Kevin Nicholson, who is now, at least according to this poll, among the people that answered it, he's he's leading. Um, he is going to be there in person. Uh, Leah Vukmir, we're going to be taping something with her that we will play that evening. But uh, you have a chance to meet Nicholson in person. Vukmir was unable to adjust her schedule to come to that event in the, uh, the Country Springs Hotel. But you can meet, uh, you'll be able to see her, but also you'll be able to meet Nicholson in person. Um, let's see, among the Democrats... They don't know anybody. Tony Evers, who's run for statewide office a couple times, he's favored by 18% who say they'll vote in the primary. Paul Soglin, uh, the mayor of Madison, 9%. Matt Flynn, who seems to me has run for pretty much everything over the years, 7%. But again, very, very fluid sort of numbers. And um, it shows that I think people really haven't started focusing on elections quite yet. Uh, but uh, candidly, I think uh, they, they're going to need to, and that's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. You will have an opportunity, and one of the tests of the enthusiasm gap is going to be coming up in early April because you have a state Supreme Court race. You have a conservative who is running to replace a conservative on the state Supreme Court, Michael Skranek, who is a Sauk County judge. You have a very liberal activist judge, Rebecca Dillette from Milwaukee County, who wants to 
uh, who's pretty much running as a Democrat. There's no question about it. Who wants to make this a partisan race? And, you know, we'll see if she succeeds. Traditionally, voters in Wisconsin vote for conservatives on the state Supreme Court. Dillette or Dallet thinks that she can change that dynamic because people are upset with Donald Trump. And so they can send a message by, I don't know, electing somebody who is going to act as an activist and join the two other liberal justices on the state Supreme Court and try to undo some of the things the Walker administration uh, is trying to do. Whether or not that succeeds or not will be interesting. But that's, I think, going to be the first test of is there, in fact, an enthusiasm gap? Because traditionally, when you have a qualified conservative who is running as a Supreme Court justice versus a liberal, it's going to be that conservative who's going to win, particularly for an open seat. All right, let me take a very quick break. When we come back, there is a controversy out of Parkland High School in Florida. A teacher who gave a number of interviews afterwards and was being hailed kind of as a hero. One of the kids is saying, this guy's not a hero at all. He's actually a coward. I'll tell you the story and we'll get your reaction. Stick around. It's 114. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Is the United States government handpicking winners and losers by implementing tariffs? John McCure and Melissa Barclay explore at 4.30 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune in. All right. Here are interesting stories emerging out of the, the Parkland High School shooting. There was a, a teacher, and actually this particular teacher was one who ended up getting a, a lot of of attention. His name is Jim Gard. He did a, a number of interviews in connection with the, the shooting, and he was being portrayed as, again, one of the heroic people that helped save the lives of students. One of his kids is stepping forward and saying, not so fast. That's not how it all went down. Let me share with you a story as it appeared in the Florida the Sun Sentinel, which is the local newspaper in that area. Here's how they write it. Panic during Parkland shooting causes rift between student and teacher. A student locked outside a classroom during the Parkland shooting has taken to Twitter, calling his teacher a coward for not opening the classroom door. But the teacher, stunned by the public flogging on social media, says he was following protocol and did nothing wrong. Okay, so here's what happened. Josh Gallagher, that's the kid says he and more than a dozen classmates were stuck in a hallway when Nicholas Cruz went on a shooting rampage at the Parkland School on February 14th, killing 14 students and three faculty. Uh, Josh, that's the kid, a junior, was so mad that he transferred out of his teacher's classroom and unleashed his fury on Twitter. Here's what he says. He accuses the teacher of leaving 75% of his students out in the hallway to be slaughtered. The teacher, Jim Gard, says 13 students had lagged behind during a fire drill and wound up locked outside his classroom, but he said all found refuge elsewhere and survived the shooting. He says, I looked back down the hall. No one was around. No one. You have to close the door. That's protocol. We have no choice. It's established policy for teachers to keep the door locked during shootings, according to the teacher. Um, Josh says, look, uh, here's, here's what happened. He said, we were, we were coming back. There's this fire drill. You know, we are, 
we're coming back and you know we're we're behind this guy runs into his, his classroom um there's only six students in the classroom with him when the fire drill turns into a code red emergency the teacher says well, I looked back down the hall. There was no one around, so I closed the door. That's protocol. I locked it, and then I went with the six kids that were in the classroom, and we all kind of gathered around the desk. This kid says, hey, there's 13 of us, uh, others. Yeah, we were we were behind him, but he goes into the classroom. He locks the door. Kid says, we banged on the door trying to get in, and he wouldn't open it, leaving us out stuck in the hallway. Kid says what we ended up doing is um, we ended up like running down the hallway. We started banging on another door, and there was another teacher who we didn't know who ended up ultimately letting us in. But the junior, the kid, his position is, hey, th- this teacher who gave a lot of interviews talking about what he did, he said he he he's not some you know brave heroic teacher. What he did was cowardly. He decided to save himself, shut us out, locked the door. And he's getting all this favorable media treatment, but he left us outside to be slaughtered. The teacher, for his part, says, well, um, sorry, but this was the protocol. I got to my room. I looked to see if there was anybody behind me. There wasn't. I shut the door. I locked it, and I wasn't going to open it for anybody. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is is my question. I guess it, it does raise... I think sort of an interesting question about the the protocols. All the kids are outside um, of the classroom as part of what they think is a fire drill. They're coming back, but not everybody is coming back at once. It's taken the kids a little while to get in. The teacher, all right, he recognizes, okay, this has now become this code red. My mission is to lock the door. So he runs inside and locks the door and doesn't come out and let the other kids out he says this is the protocol i did nothing wrong kid says we, we we bang on the door he doesn't let us in that's fine he can say he's following the protocol but what he's done is he's trapped 13 of us outside in the hallway all right 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line the teacher says i didn't do anything wrong i was following what the rules are the kid says Hey, look, this guy stuck me out. It stuck 13 of us out in the hallway. We had nowhere to go. Thankfully, we found some other teacher who didn't even know us who opened the door and let us in. Is it fair to criticize the teacher in this case? Now, I have a strong opinion on it, but this is one where I want to withhold my opinion till I hear what you have to say. 414-799-1620. Teacher says, hey, rules are rules. I got there. I looked around. There was nobody behind me. I shut the door. I locked the door. I'm not supposed to open it. And I guess if that means that 13 kids are now trapped outside, that's not my problem. Hmm. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Eric in Sheboygan. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. What do you Um, think? So there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking that's going on. I don't think any of us are going to have a clue what we're going to do. Uh, or what we will do unless we're in that situation. But if protocol dictates that the teacher closes the door, the teacher has no clue if this kid who's banging on the door is the shooter or not. So if the if the if the protocol dictates you close the door and hunker down, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And it, 
I, I, it's a lose-lose situation, no matter which way you look at it. Well, I, I guess it is. If Let's talk then, though, about the protocol. If in this situation the protocol leaves two-thirds of the kids out exposed and unsafe, does the protocol make any sense? Uh, yeah, well, it's like any law, yeah, you got to change that. Or yeah. my first thought when you were talking about it is maybe in the next construction of schools, unfortunately, though, if this trend continues, they're going to have to put little safe areas that kids can go if they can't get into a class, little nooks yeah. or whatever where they can shut a door. I mean, it's just, again, lose-lose situation. No, it is. No, th- thanks for call because on the one hand, um, again, the, the the teacher is saying, okay, I, I knew I only had a fraction of my students here, but I got back to the room. It went code red. My rule are, is that I'm supposed to lock the door and not let anybody in. The kids are saying, we're banging on the door trying to get in, and he's under the desk with six people leaving us outside to be slaughtered. You know, where are we supposed to go? Okay, we pick it up right there. If you're on the line, please hold on. Uh, the kid says the teacher was a coward for not letting them in. Does he have a point? It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Bill and Mequon. Bill, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. What do you think? How are you? Bill? There? Yeah, go ahead. We can hear you. Uh, the situation, the protocol is designed for kids being inside the classroom already. Rodgers file outside because of a fire drill and then returns to the classroom. Yep. If everybody's in the classroom to begin with, the doors are shut. Right. But but they all had to come back in. So should the teacher have waited till everybody was in? Where were the kids? How come they weren't with him? Well, I think I mean I I mean from what I understand with the you know the fire drills, people get outside and they kind of scatter around. I don't know that they all stay in their classes. I mean, think, I mean here's the problem, and you're on to something, Bill. This. I don't know that either person is wrong here. I'm not prepared to call the teacher a coward, but at the same time, I will tell you this. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be, <laughs> I remember the president saying, well, I would have run in and confronted the guy without a gun. I don't know about that. But at the same time, if you're a teacher and you've got two-thirds of your class outside the classroom, it's tough for me to understand how you can lock the door and not let them in, you know, when there's an active shooting situation. I agree with you, though, Bill, this this protocol, and this is why rules are rules don't make sense. This protocol is designed for all the kids are in the classroom. You get the code read. You go. You lock the door. You don't let anybody in. It's not designed for a situation where two thirds of the kids are still out in the hallway. That's where I think this issue is. Am I going to call the teacher a coward? No. At the same time, though, I don't understand how you can let two-thirds of your kids hang outside the classroom door and not let them in when there's an active situation. To me, though, I mean, the guy was following the rules. I'm not going to call him a coward. But if I was one of the parents of those 13 or 14 students, I'm saying, wait a minute, you locked my child out of this room and would not let him in? I think that that is a fair criticism as well. And I think the thing that you take away from this is that, you know, you... One size doesn't fit all when it comes to school shooting situations. Like you say, Bill, if everybody's in the classroom, the kids are accounted for, of course you lock the door and then don't let anybody in. But in a situation where everybody's just still streaming in, the idea of locking the door and locking 12 or 13 kids out 
so that essentially they are cannon fodder if that shooter comes in. I don't think that's an acceptable thing either. And I guess I think the kid has the point. I, a point. I wouldn't call the teacher a coward. He followed the rules. But it strikes me that this is a very, very bad rule for this particular situation. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The calendar says March, but we aren't free of winter weather just yet. Another round of snow is headed our way. How will it affect your morning commute? Gene Miller has the latest at 521 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. We have our winner of a pair of tickets to uh, join me and uh, a cast of, well, not thousands, but a cast of big-name guests at Insight 2018, March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel. Um, we'll be giving away tickets all week. But but in addition, look, 25 bucks a piece. It's a great evening. It's a lot of fun. People that have gone to Insight in the past have uh, really enjoyed it. And our ticket sales, it would be fair to say, they are robust. So... I think what actually really sold it is it's not just the governor, it's not just the attorney general, it's not just the Senate candidates, it's not just the Supreme Court candidate, Kathleen O'Leary is a draw, it's not just the attorney general. Yeah, my, my, my wife is going to be there too. Everybody says, she's going to be there? Absolutely. Absolutely. She said she wouldn't miss it, and of course, she knows everybody in the area. So check it out. Insight 2018 will continue to give away tickets, but just go to the website, you'll see, uh, the, you can click on that, you can get the tickets, and we hope to see you there. All right. There's always a tension between whenever you hear the stories about increased traffic enforcement, there's always the tension between are they doing it to make the road safer or are they doing it to raise money? Because you stop people, you write the citations, I understand there's some people who just like take those citations and don't pay them and then don't care. But you know, most people are responsible. And if you get a speeding ticket, you're going to pay that. Right. So here, here's what's going on. Lincoln Memorial Drive, which is, of course, the, the lakefront, um, the area between where Lake Drive kind of ends and dumps out, uh, on Kensington there, uh, at Lincoln Memorial Drive. And you, you come down that hill or go up the hill, depending on which way you're going. You go past Bradford Beach and then you go past the Yacht Club and you end up downtown. All right. Um, that is an area that has now been targeted for traffic enforcement by the sheriff's department. All right. Here's what the story says. Um, they say that this has now become a priority. They have stationed deputies along Lincoln Memorial Drive, especially during rush hours in the morning and the evening. And they're making no bones about it. This is part of an ongoing initiative to crack down on speeding and reckless driving. The sheriff's office is doing in conjunction with the state patrol. All right. Here's the deal. Um, These are new numbers from the county sheriff's office. February 22nd to 28th, so just this one-week period of time, 83 drivers were caught going anywhere from 20 to 24 miles per hour over the speed limit. 19 drivers received tickets for hitting higher speeds. And the sheriff's office says, yeah, um, this is going to be one of our priorities. Um, If you're driving that fast, yes, you, you should expect to get a ticket. Sheriff's Department also says, look, this isn't one where we're, we're trying to pull, 
we're hiding behind billboards or something. It's not like we're, you know, doing our, our speed trap thing like you do, you know, in, in some places around the state where there's some communities that are notorious speed traps. Sheriff's Department is saying, we, we've got cops that are out there in the open, and you would not believe how fast people are driving. We're not hiding. We're out in the open. We want people to slow down. So numbers in a seven-day period, the 22nd to the 28th, 83 drivers caught going at least 20 to 24 miles an hour over the limit, 19 driving faster than that, which would mean at least 25 miles an hour over the limit. So do the math, 83, 19, that's 102 drivers caught during that one-week period, primarily just during the rush hour, driving 20 miles an hour or more over the speed limit, most likely during rush hour, morning or afternoon on Lincoln Memorial Drive. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you hear these stories, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One would be to say, oh, there's those darn cops out there again. They're just look, looking for to pull people over and to try to raise revenue. The other way of looking at this, which is the way I look at it, is, look, I, I, I understand. If, if this story was we're pulling people over for driving six miles an hour over the limit, particularly as you're going down Lincoln Memorial Drive, coming down that hill, I would say, don't you have better things to do with yourself? But when I hear over a 100 people in that limited period cited for going 20 or more over the speed limit, my response to the sheriff's department is, you go, guys, because I'm sorry, that's that to me is irresponsible. And if people are going to drive that fast, I when I see people driving that far over the limit, you know, you're going maybe you're on the freeway and you're going like 77 or 78 and somebody passes you like a bat out of you know where driving 90 my reaction is yeah i want to see a police officer and i want to you know pull it over pull him over 4147991620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line i support what the sheriff's department is doing and i think candidly they could be more aggressive once you hit 20 miles an hour over the limit in that area no sympathy from me if you get pulled over. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob on the northeast side. Bob, good afternoon. I think they're doing the right thing. Uh, if you're breaking the law, I drive that road daily. Uh, you've got it coming. Well, especially if you break the law like that. I mean, it's like I say, if, if you're going down that, that big hill that's there, I can understand how, okay, maybe you might be five miles an hour over the limit. But 20 miles an hour over the limit, especially in rush hour, there's no excuse for that. It's dangerous. I work second shift, and at night it's worse, actually, and there's that's when they need the enforcement there. I would say at night it's it's much worse. Right. Well, plus at night, you probably also have the added factor of alcohol, I would guess, too. Uh, agreed. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Thanks for the call. No, I mean, that's it. Let's see. Uh, our text line. I applaud the tickets. Keep pulling them over. People drive way too fast and too dangerous and don't what, understand what the word speed limit means. Here's Justin. Kudos to the acting sheriff. Even just the sight of the enforcement squads is helping to deter the previously out of control, reckless driving that seems to have blossomed around here in recent years. You know, keep on it. And since I think most people feel that way, uh, Rocky says kudos to the sheriff's department. Thank you. Again, this isn't there, there are notorious speed traps around here where you have police in some jurisdictions that hide 
and then, all right, you're four miles an hour over the limit, we're going to pull you over, and we're going to give you a ticket. That, to me, isn't about public safety. That is about raising revenue. What's the place? Rosendale, is that it? Um, you know, up in Fond du Lac County where, I mean, notorious speed trap. That, that's the way they, they raise revenue. It's not safety. It's a way of trying to, you know, generate money. But, you know, here, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, you know, cry me a river. If you get stopped doing that, you got nobody to blame but yourself. Chuck on the south side. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Chuck. Listen, I'm a truck driver, and I know that going five miles over the speed limit is slow to some people, but I won't go over five miles over because if I get a... Yeah, you've got a commercial, you've got your commercial driver's license, and you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. See, if if it goes, it goes on my CDL. Right. And I can't afford to lose my job. I can't afford to pay the ticket. Um, So when I see people passing me at 10 miles or look, looking at me like I'm going really slow at five miles over the speed limit. You know, yeah. I see people going 20 miles over. I'm like, geez, where's the cop? Yeah, well, I'm like that, too. And again, I look, I freely admit, driving the freeways and stuff, for a long time I was commuting the last six or seven months between here and West Bend, and I, I admit that I, I kind of got a comfort level as to where I thought it was fine to drive. But if if I'm five or six miles an hour over the limit, that's one thing. If somebody's 25 miles an hour over the limit, pull them over. There's just no excuse for that. That's reckless driving. Right, exactly. And, you know, as I said, I I understand people look at me like I'm going really slow. I just can't afford to go any right. faster. I don't want to get a ticket. Well, right. No, exactly. Because especially from your perspective also with your, your commercial truck driver's license, you get those tickets. It's not just a question of paying the tickets. It's a question of at some point in time, do you become uninsurable, you know, and does that end up costing your job? So, I mean, I understand that there's those perspectives as well. Mary in South Milwaukee. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Mary. Hello? Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Hi, Mary. I saw this on the news the other night. I was so happy and so relieved because people go easily over 25, 20, 25, maybe even 30. They get in back of you. They tailgate you. They try to cut you off. Oh, I I hope there's more police presence in the uh, airport area. Cudahy, South Milwaukee. That is welcome. Yeah, I think. No, well, thanks for calling. I mean, I think in general. I, one of the frustrations that we have had around here, and I mean, I look, I, I understand the police are, are busy and they have all sorts of things to do, but I think one of the things that has been really, really frustrating for a lot of us is the fact that traffic enforcement has ended up being lax. Now, I mean, look, here, here's part of the problem. You know, um, I don't want to say half the time, but a good portion of the time when the police pull somebody over, you know, the person, let, let's say you catch that person driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Well, a lot of times when they pull that person over, they're not going to have a valid driver's license. Um, maybe they've never had one. Maybe the uh, license has been suspended or revoked. And those are the cases where we're not even going to factor in whether the car is stolen. So you write the tickets, and the people have no intention of paying the tickets, uh, and they're just going to continue to drive. So there is part of this larger problem, which is why I'm the guy that says, you know, after a certain degree of, like, unpaid tickets and things like that and continuing to drive, what we need to do is start taking cars. That's my, you know, big picture idea. But a start is to be aggressive with enforcement because a car is a weapon. I think there's a lot of us out there who just say, hey, we're tired of being cut off. Or like Mary was saying, you know, you're driving 30 miles an hour or 32 in a 25 mile an hour zone and you've got some jerk that's on your bumper who wants to drive 40 or 45 or 50 miles an hour. Well, Okay, fine. You know, you decide you want to do that. That's great. 
You get pulled over, no sympathy from me. It's 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The crew gets back to work as they get set for a spring training matchup with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hall of Famer Bob Uecker is on the call. You can hear it right here on WTMJ starting at 155 Thursday afternoon. Brewers off to a good start in Exhibition League play. Now, Gru is producing the show today and always. I understand that the games don't really matter, but my experience has been teams that do well in spring training typically do well during the season. I, I mean, you know, I, and I understand that the games don't count and there's all sorts of players that, you know, aren't going to ultimately be playing and there's all sorts of things other than wins or losses. But, you know, I'd be interested to see how many teams really stink up spring training and then come out and seriously challenge for the World Series. And my guess is probably not that many. The Brewers, very, very solid start. I mean, they're... they're they're just going to be a darn good team. Um, they open in San Diego on Thursday, March 29th. That's the day after our Insight broadcast. And then they have their home opener um, that next Monday. And uh, a matter of fact, I was at the meeting for all our different opening day coverage. Going to be a lot of fun. All right. Now, I, I should not do this because in the in our radio studio we have a number of TV monitors, and I always come in and there's I get to I get one of the screens. They got all these different screens. We got the weather one, even though nothing's going on with the weather right now. There will be snow later on today. Drive carefully during rush hour. We got the traffic camera. There's one screen that I get to put on whatever I want. Then we have one that for some reason it's on CNN. And I, I don't know why. I think somebody puts it on CNN just to kind of drive my blood pressure up. I think that's what it is. It's a, let's mess with Wagner. But, okay, this is – they've got three people that for the last five or six minutes have been discussing a joke that President Trump told. All right, last late last week, um, he's, he's at uh, a meeting with other Republicans. And you, you might have heard that the, the president of China – has now been made like president for life. And so somebody asked Trump, what do you think about that? And he's telling a joke. He says, ah, I think it might be a good idea. Okay, he's telling a joke, you know, and that ah, might be a good idea. For the last seven or eight minutes, Trump praises China for consolidating power for life. He was being funny, or he was trying to be funny, but oh my goodness, this is like CNN. No, no, we, we, uh, he's, Trump is talking about how he wants to be a dictator. He was just trying to be funny. All right. This story we put in the people desperately needing a life category. Now, Gru, you were um, you were not focused in on the all the, the Act 10 demonstrations and stuff, right? Kind of before your time. You were a senior in high school, right? So, okay, well, some of us, some of us were. And, of course, this goes back to 2010 and 2011, you know, Governor Walker's, you know, proposals in Act 10, which actually still have majority support. Um, the latest Marquette Law Poll still shows that, you know, people uh, by, I think it's 46 to 41, think it was the right thing to do. Well, anyhow, you had all these protests. You had all these out-of-state protesters that came and took over the Capitol and created the Capitol chaos, and you had the recall thing. Well, out of that, um, you it led to what were called the Solidarity Singers. And this was a bunch of college kids, aging hippies, lefty activists, and people desperately searching for a life who would show up at at the Capitol every day and, and sing. 
And sometimes, you know, when the weather's nice, they would sing outside. Um, it, it's been, um, let's see, last Thursday was 1,820 days since the Solidarity Singers started. Um, now, most days, it's just a handful of, of people. You know, again, it's it's that category. I'm looking at the picture of the four or five that showed up. And it's, it's in general, it's the aging hippies, you know, the people who... I, I don't know. They still think it's kind of 1968, but it's been going on for like seven years. So the big story in the Madison papers, solidarity sing-along, celebrating seven years of protesting Scott Walker. Handful of these people, and again, it, it's different people, but there's always somebody to kind of keep this going. So on the one hand, they're they're proud of themselves that they show up every day and they sing their protest songs. All right? On the one hand, you got to give it to these people for, I don't know, stick to it if this. At the same time, all right, every weekday, showing up at noon at the state capitol to sing your various protest songs, I get it for the first week or two weeks or the first month. Maybe I get it for, you know, after the first election. Maybe I get it for leading up to an election. But day in, day out, that to me is God's way of telling you that if you've got enough time, that you can show up at the state capitol and sing your protest songs day after day, day after day, for seven years. That's God's way of telling you that you've got too darn much time on your hands. And maybe you should, I don't know, find something else constructive to do. Just saying. It's 157. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back. All right. If you're an alcoholic, should you be entitled to a liver transplant or should the liver go somewhere else? California has the worst quality of life in the United States, safe injection sites, and a transgender wrestler is back in the news. Stick around. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. Let me tell you the story of Mac Beggs. Mac Beggs is a high school kid who is a wrestler. Very successful wrestler. Matter of fact, just wrapped up his senior season, won the the Texas High School Wrestling Championship for girls. Now, you might say to me, wait wait a second, Jeff. You said the kid's name is Mac Beggs. Well, here, here's what happened. Mac Beggs was born female, born Mackenzie Beggs, identifies as a guy. And starting when he went to high school, Started then uh, positioning and saying, okay, I'm, I'm started what they would call the transition. So he, she, anatomically, she um, looks, dresses like a boy, has a boy's haircut and things like that. But anatomically is still a girl um, and has not, the, the child at this point in time has not yet begun the um, plastic surgery, and the full-on hormone therapy that you would take to actually, you know, physically transform yourself from a girl to a boy. But the kid identifies as a boy, presents as a boy. All right, the child is a wrestler and a very, very successful wrestler. Matter of fact, was undefeated this year, just won the state championship wrestling against girls because the child's gender is female on the birth certificate. Well, when the kid won, he ended up getting booed. And, and here's in part where the controversy is. 
because it's not just like the child looks like a boy wrestling girls, but the child is taking low-dose testosterone injections um, as part of the beginning process of this this transformation, you know, the hormone therapy and the the you know the plastic surgery and things like that. So the kid is taking testosterone injections as a way of again beginning the process of transforming from female to to a male. So the child takes testosterone, which is a banned substance. So you might say to me, well, Jeff, how 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 can he take it and still compete? Well, the the rules. Say you, you can't take steroid use. That's what this is. You can't take steroid use, except these are permissible because the law, the state has a what they call a safe harbor provision, which allows steroids that are dispensed, prescribed, delivered, and administered by a medical practitioner for a valid medical purpose. So in other words, it's not like this kid is using steroids under the table to try to become stronger and things like that, the child is, it's a valid medical purpose. He's taking them to transform from a girl to a boy. But nevertheless, he's taking these steroids. And as a result, a lot of the girls are saying, hey, we're not allowed to take these steroids. Um, The child, he, again, even though it's anatomically he is a she, the, the child's a lot stronger than us. It's not fair. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, here you have a child who wants to participate in, in wrestling. Um, anatomically is a girl, is wrestling, even though, you know, she looks like a boy, she's wrestling against, uh, he is wrestling against other girls. And again, I, I always... And I don't mean people get offended me with by throwing the different pronouns around. Born as a girl, uh, um, presents, views themselves as a boy, wrestling against girls. And a number of people are upset. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do they have a right to be upset? Here's how I analyze this. My answer is yes, not because of you know what what the child whether the child views themselves as a boy or girl that's not the thing the child is taking steroids and maybe they are prescribed and maybe it's valid but those steroids give this child a competitive advantage over the other in this case girls that he is wrestling against and i guess that's the thing if you want to do this transition that's fine but if you allow them to take drugs and part of the, the medication, the drugs, gives them a competitive advantage, then they shouldn't be allowed to participate. At least that's how I see it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I would feel the same way if this were, let's say you had boys wrestling against boys. Same anatomy, but one of the kids is taking steroids, one of the kids isn't. The child that is taking steroids, I, I think has a competitive advantage. And a lot of the girls that wrestle against this particular wrestler, they're saying, this kid is just, it's not just that he's a good wrestler, because he's a good wrestler, but he is so incredibly strong. And I think it's reasonable to assume that some of that strength comes not just from working out, but from the fact that the child is taking steroids. 
And that's where I think it is fundamentally unfair. 414-799-1620. To me, this is, I'm going to use the word cheating. I understand it's allowed by the rules, but in the big picture, it strikes me as being cheating. And if I was the parent of one of the female wrestlers who wasn't taking steroids, I'd be saying, hey, this just isn't right that my kid, who is not getting the benefit of taking the steroids, has to go up against the kid that is. Jack in Elm Grove. Jack, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jack. Um, I I say you can have it one way or the other, but not both. If this person identifies as a male, then he should be wrestling males. However, I understand that he has to use the gender that's listed on his birth certificate. Yes, right. So now, right. The kid's not right. The kid's not the bad guy here. The kid who said, "I want to wrestle against boys," the right. rule doesn't let him do it. Yeah. Right, and so otherwise. If you fall into the other category, then you're a female who's doping. And that doesn't make any difference to me what, why you have the, the, that particular substance in your, in your bloodstream. Because for other reasons, other professional and amateur athletes have had um, substances that they were taking for uh, either nutritional or medical purposes right. for healing. And because they had a side effect that showed that uh, it elevated some certain level of of chemical in their body as a side effect, yep. then they were banned. Yep. Well, same thing. Yeah, see, I, I agree. With, I mean, thanks. I mean, I, I agree with you. Whether, and, and you're exactly correct, that the the boy, he, he wants to wrestle against boys. You know? But the rules say, no, you, you have to wrestle against whoever, you know, you have to wrestle. It's classified based on what's on your birth certificate. You know, that's a, a whole other line of discussion. To me, it's the drug. To me, the whole issue is you have a substance that is that allows you it is a performance enhancing substance. And maybe that's a side benefit effect of the other things you're taking. But if you're going to do that, I don't think you should be allowed to wrestle, period. And, and that might be an unfortunate sort of situation, but it's a competitive situation as well. And I think you get an unfair advantage whether you're wrestling boys or whether you're wrestling girls. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, um, great topic because uh, my sons are wrestlers, and I find this sport just absolutely wonderful. And I mm-hmm. hate to hinder taking anybody away from the sport because it's starting to decline. Uh, the popularity, but it's a very unique situation. And but I, I don't find it right because it, it is it, it is it's a sport that you try to get the best balance, equal, you know, age, equal weight classes. Right. To try to balance the sport to make it fair, and this by clearly by a, a, a substance enhancing your strength, literally that. Because that's what testosterone does, right? I mean, it, it helps exactly. people build muscle. Yeah. And, and exactly, and so you know, and, and I understand what you're saying. This is a a uh, a drug that's administered and, and prescribed medically. But my question would be, for what medical purpose? It's more cosmetic than it is medical. Is there something wrong with this person that they have to take the hormone? I would say no. They're taking it for a cosmetic reason and reason only, which is in, in allowing them to better themselves in this condition. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, Jason, I guess, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say cosmetic because there's all, I mean, there, there's reasons why people go through the, you know, the gender transition stuff beyond, you know, cosmetic type of stuff. But regardless, it, it's still, 
it is an enhancing sort of thing. I mean, let's go back to the example that one of the other callers was giving. I mean, you have Olympic athletes that end up, you know, getting getting tossed out of the competition because they've got a cold. And and so they, they take, you know, cold medication or something and, you know, they're, they're taking it so they can you know, breathe or whatever. But the side effect is, you know, maybe it gives them a little bit of an advantage. In this particular case, the child is taking testosterone. And I think it clearly gives that child an unfair advantage. And I think it doesn't matter whether he's wrestling with boys or he's wrestling against girls. I, I think the fact that he's got this drug in his system, which is allowing him to build muscle and endurance and things like that, that's that's where it becomes an issue. And this is why, I mean, I, I know it might be a tough sort of thing, and I understand the crowd was booing him, and he, he was saying, look, I, I, I want to wrestle boys. I this, is, this isn't my choice. It's the way the rules are. I think the problem in this case is the rules allow somebody who is taking banned substances, even though he's not taking the banned substances necessarily for performance enhancing, the effect of taking these substances is to enhance his performance, and that's why I don't think he should be allowed to compete either against the boys or against the girls. Might be a tough result, but that's, I think, what would be fair for everybody else. It's 219. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acton Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, the more and more I think about this, trying to get the United States into a, a trade war, to me, is just a strikingly dumb idea. And the idea that trade wars are easily won and this is no problem at all. Okay, well, we'll tell that to companies like Harley-Davidson. And tell that to a number of our agricultural producers here in Wisconsin who export goods across the country. All right. A lot of people want to weigh in. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to join us, we'll be back with your calls in a moment. First, though, it is 1212. It is 231. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Eric Bilstadt. Long-term ramp closures in the Marquette Interchange are being delayed a day because of the snow in the forecast this evening. We do have a winter weather advisory that kicks off at 6 p.m. When it comes to voters' opinions in Wisconsin, not much has changed. According to the latest Marquette University Law School poll, Governor Walker's approval rating hasn't moved much. Either has President Trump's. Former Trump campaign aide Sam Nunberg has been subpoenaed by a federal grand jury, but he says he will not testify. House Speaker Paul Ryan is urging the White House not to impose tariffs on foreign aluminum and steel. And Bill Cosby's lawyers want his sexual assault case thrown out, arguing today that telephone records and other evidence show the alleged incident could not have happened when prosecutors say it did. They say it falls outside the statute of limitations. Cosby is being retried in that sexual assault case. Time for the WTMJ Drake and Associates market update. Look at this. The Dow is up big, up 378 to 24,916. The NASDAQ is up 81 to 7339. And the S&P is up 32 to 2723. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. 94 outbound from downtown through the zoo all the way out to Highway 16 is clear at 17 minutes. 4145 southbound from Highway Q to the zoo is also looking good right now. That's 15 minutes. However, from the zoo to the hail, you're on the brakes there. It's about a nine-minute ride, so a few-minute delays as you head south. 43 outbound from the Marquette to Brown Deer Road is a 12-minute trip. That's right on time. And 94 outbound from the Marquette to Layton is delay-free. That should take you seven minutes. The WTMJ five-day forecast. 
Breezy, clouds, the snow is on the way. It's already starting to hit Madison. Brown deer starting to see a little bit of it heads our way. So the wintry mix arrives around here around the 6 o'clock hour. High of 38 today. Tonight, the snow will be wet. It'll be heavy. It'll be about 2 to 4 inches likely tonight, a low of 32. Tuesday, the snow will taper off maybe another inch tomorrow, a high of 35. So by the time we're done, 5 inches around here, maybe a little bit more to the north, a little bit less to the south. Wednesday, partly cloudy, high of 33. Thursday, partly cloudy, high of 34. Friday, partly cloudy, and high of 38. Right now in Milwaukee, 34 degrees. I'm Eric Bilstead, News Radio, WTMJ. I'm Jeff Wagner. Uh, Let me just give you something to think about. In 2002, President Bush imposed tariffs of up to 30% on steel imports. One of them to last three years. He had to lift them earlier than expected after European trading partners threatened to retaliate. A study found that the higher steel prices that occurred cost more jobs than the number of people employed in the industry at the time. Okay, is a trade war really smart public policy? We talk about it next. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Rose in Waukesha. Rose, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hi. I oh, I think this is crazy because what, 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 if these tariffs go into effect, um, all the headway that he's made with this tax cuts is just going to go right down the hill because prices mm-hmm. are going to go up. And like your producer said, you know, if you want to buy a car, let's say, and, you know, you got your tax cuts came out to like $800 a year that you'd be getting back. And, you know, you're going to end up paying more than that $800 for the price of the car because of the tariffs that are going to be imposed. Yeah, I mean, say say goodbye to any savings. No, you're you're right, Rose. I mean, a, a typical car has about a ton of steel in it. And these tariffs would increase the cost by by three or four hundred bucks. So, but but right, it, it's just it's just completely and totally out the window. Now, we, you know, I'm getting a number of texts from people who are saying, you know, Jeff, this isn't about economics. This is about national security. You know, we we we're worried about China. No, China is going to be the problem. Well, okay, here's the thing: China, while China produces a lot of steel and has sort of flooded the worldwide market with steel, which is one of the things that's driven down the costs. We are not, by and large, an importer of steel. We only get 3% of, uh, we only get 3% of the steel from China. I mean, here, here's some. Canada is the, the biggest supplier. 16% of U.S. steel imports come from Canada. Then it's South Korea. Then it's Mexico. Then it's Brazil, and then it's China. China is only three percent. So if the idea is we're trying to send a message to China because we don't like the fact that they're flooding us with cheap goods, th- this is it's a peculiar way to do it. So what you're doing is you're targeting actually some of your your friends. Here, here's and here's the way they're already planning it. Um, you know, Canada is already saying, okay, well, you know, here. Here, here's the deal. Let's look at some of the things that, you know, we import from you. Orange juice, uh, Kentucky bourbon, blue jeans, Harley Davidson's. The European Union is already saying, OK, look, if, if the president really goes ahead and does this, you know, we've got a we've got a plan. You impose $3.5 billion in tariffs on this industry, and what we're prepared to do is we're ready to tax American imports. Like I say, bourbon, blue jeans, orange juice, cranberries. Cranberries? Okay, how many cranberry growers are there in Wisconsin? Rice and, and motorcycles. Huh. Okay, well, 
All right, then all you're talking about is you're talking about prices starting to spiral. And who ends up losing out there? Well, it, it's all the rest of us. All right, let's talk to uh, Tom and Racine. Tom, good afternoon. Tom. Hi. Hi. Thanks Hi, for having me on. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I have a couple of points to make here. Uh, number one, um, the idea that, that we would engage or begin a trade war uh, is a misnomer because we're already in a trade war. Um, in December of 2017, the United States ran a $53.1 billion trade deficit. Something has to be done about this, and it is a matter of national security. I won't touch on that topic any further. I want to get to my next point. My second point is we, ha- we accept some measure of, of uh, government uh, involvement in trade. We don't have truly free trade. No nation does. There is some measure of government involvement. And the way that we can engage and enter into these, uh, this trade is through trade agreements, where we, we set up ahead of time uh, some rules and laws and regulations to help us uh, supposedly better trade with other nations. And then there are things that we can do to respond to those trade agreements when they don't work out favorably, such as taxes and tariffs on imports and exports. And these are necessary and vital tools to respond when a trade agreement does not work out the way it should. And when we run a, a in excess of $53 billion trade deficit, uh, just this is just December 2017 numbers, um, these are the issues that we're having. So we need these tools to be able to respond. Um, we do need to re- renegotiate. And I want to touch back on something you said well, earlier, but let me, but let me ask you this first. Okay, what do you think is going to be, let, let us say the president goes ahead with his idea to slap a 25% tariff on, on steel, for example, which... The majority of it comes in from Canada. What do you think is going to be the effect of of that? Well, I think you touched on it. Clearly, there's going to be some effects. But I do think that you you uh, mislabeled one of the effects. If we get taxed uh, exporting cranberries to Slovenia, um, I don't know if we export them to Slovenia now, but if we do, um, we're not necessarily going to be paying higher prices for, for cranberries. Their consumers will up the cost. There might be less of a demand in Slovenia yes. for those cranberries, but those cranberry prices would drop here for us. Well, well, let me, let me, uh, Tom, let, let me break that down into two things. I guess when I was talking about higher costs, I, I'm referring to if, if, if the European, if if you have increased tariffs, all right, that, that are put into effect. Our costs go up. Our cost of buying cars, our cost of beer goes goes up. Yet you're right. Um, a, a tariff on American imported goods doesn't necessarily. Let's, you're right. Slovenia, in your example, decides to put a 25 percent tariff on cranberries. That doesn't necessarily mean we're paying more for cranberries here. What it means, though, is that there's less demand for cranberries. Or the Slovenia goes and looks and tries to find other sources. If all of a sudden their costs go up 25%, well, all right, maybe Slovenians decide, okay, we'll go with blueberries instead of cranberries, or we'll skip it. It costs American jobs. So, yeah, let us be clear here. The other countries imposing a tariff doesn't necessarily drive up our consumer costs here, except to the extent that you have like shared production. That's like I was saying earlier. I don't understand for the life of me. Like I don't know what an American car is anymore because you have 
you know, cars that could be assembled in the United States, but they have some components that are made in Mexico and some, you know, the steel comes from uh, Canada um, and the electronic parts come from Europe. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what constitutes an American car, which is the other thing. You know, what what do you do with these companies, for example, that have a presence in the United States and have a, a presence in Canada. The point that I, I, it was either Paul Ryan or Ron Johnson was trying to make last week to this is, you know, one of the things that this potentially does, maybe it was even Scott Walker, is it, it encourages, it gives you incentive for some of these countries, for example, that have, I don't know, um, that have outlets or manufacturing facilities in the United States and in Canada, it, it says, okay, well, let's, let's just take these manufacturing facilities in the United States, let's move them across the border. You know, then, you know, we, we don't have to worry about the cost of, of steel. I, I guess I, I, I understand that there is a trade imbalance, and I understand that there's been problems, and, you know, think one of the things that have hurt American industry has been the fact that you've had overseas manufacturers that have flooded the market with with goods that they've produced for cheaper, and as a result, you know, certain American industries have just gone out of business. Now, part of that, at the same time, is a consumer choice. I, I, I've said this for years and years. You know, on, okay, on the day after Thanksgiving, now, of course, the, the Black Friday is less significant. But for years, you know, you'd have people line up outside of Walmarts or Best Buys or or whatever, you know, pushing people over to try to buy, you know, the, the Blu-ray disc player for $49 that was manufactured in South Korea or or wherever because they wanted the Blu-ray disc player for $49. Well, we, we were our own worst enemies. We were willing to take that cheap import or the import and pay 49 as opposed to an American company that paid 79 That was a consumer choice. I, I just think the president is very, very cavalier when he throws around the idea of let's get into a trade war. And I think particularly if you live in Wisconsin, you know, where we do ex- a lot of our big industries are – you know, tied into exporting and selling our goods overseas. Well, you know, all of a sudden you start having, again, a co- the European Union, for example, responding to this by imposing their own tariffs on cranberries or their own tariffs on motorcycles or whatever. And as a result, Harley, which is struggling to begin with, doesn't have as much demand. Or, you know, all the people around Wisconsin Rapids and all the cranberry bogs, all right, demand goes down because the cost has gone up and they start laying off people. It's just, it's a very dangerous route to go down. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Groove is producing the show today and always. Um, last week, after the stock market went down like five hundred points, after the stock market had gone down three hundred points, I was um, at an event. I was talking to one of you millennial types, and I understand you don't like to get lumped into the whole, you know, I, and that that is unfair to generalize. But I was talking to a millennial, and um, he had had been. I give him credit because he had. He'd been out of college, had a job for a few years, and had been investing in a 401k. You know, it was like building a nest egg, which is, you know, something that I 
it actually encouraged them to do. I said, look, this is especially if you've got a company that matches money, it's like free money. You know, they'll if you know if you put in five hundred dollars and they match it up to five hundred dollars, that's like them giving you five hundred dollars. And there's not too many places to give you five hundred dollars. And he's and he was saying to me, Jeff, I understand what you've been saying about this, but I, I just can't stand it. the stock market went down five hundred points and then it went down three hundred points and I, I'm getting out. I'm just gonna and I said, well. Okay, well, first you're going to have to pay taxes on the money you put in. But on, on top of, of that, you know, what are you going to do with the money? Oh, I'm going to keep it in cash. I, I can't stand the losses. They said, well, here, here's the problem you, you have to understand is that the stock market is going to go up and down based on any sort of given event that happens in, in a day. Uh, England, Great Britain announces they're going to pull out of the European Union. Stock market drops a thousand points. Well, okay, a week later, it's up thirteen hundred. You know, President Trump walks past a group of reporters and shouts, "I'm going to put on twenty five percent tariffs." Stock market, you know, takes a hit. Well, all right, today stock market well, it was up over four hundred. Right now, it's up over three hundred seventy three points. But nine minutes before close, you've had a, a substantial increase and the. the Point is for anybody who's going to, you know, panic based on what happens on any one given day or two. You, you never know what's going to happen that that next day. And if you look at all these different studies in the stock market, and I'm not a financial analyst, nor do I play one on the radio. Um, I'm just somebody who's you know spent a good portion of my life investing my own money, and now I have some professionals to help me out. But but the, the whole idea is, if you look at all these studies and say long term, you know, if you had money in the market and you put this amount of money in, you know, 30 years later, this is what it would be worth. Well, that assumes that that money is always going to be in the market because the problem is you don't know when you're going to have those days when the stock market goes up 370 points or 400 or 500 points. You don't know when that is. And if you happen to be out of the market, when that happens, you're going to lose that. So I I was actually telling this young man, I said, look, here, here's the bottom line. Do, do me a favor. Just just let it ride for a while. And, you know, maybe it's going to turn out that a year or two from now, you're going to look back and say, Wagner, you cost me all this different money. Um, I said, but, you know, chances are you leave that money there. You know, I, I don't know that I'll be around 30 years from now or 40 years from now when you decide that you need it. But you leave it there. I think you'll probably be in pretty good shape. We cannot let today's program end without yet another story from the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee raising the question of why is it that good, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens put up with this kind of garbage? Um, here's the story. Middle-aged woman, it's the way Fox 6 reported it, middle-aged woman shot while trying to escape a violent scene. And it's not just what a group of men did, but where it happened um, that has a River West community on edge, yellow tape and police squads are an uncommon sight to see near Booth and Meineke. We've never had a crime here before, says one of the, the neighbors. It's shocking. The tranquility of the neighborhood was rocked around 1.30 a.m. Saturday morning. Woman says, I heard gunshots, maybe four or five or six shots. It was really loud right in front of my house. Police say three men approached a 57-year-old woman and tried to rob her. And again, these are the the thugs and the predators. They're picking their targets. In this case, they pick, you know, a middle-aged lady. When she tried to escape, they opened fire. When she tries to run, well, witness says, for it to happen to a 57-year-old lady, that's ruthless. It's kind of savage. The woman was struck, but they say she's going to survive. 
Another witness is saying it could be anybody. It could be my mother, my aunt, everybody. I feel bad for the lady. People in the area are appalled by the suspect's callous actions. There's no limit to the badness out here. It's beyond reckless out here, one of the witnesses said. I I thought that was an interesting point. There's no limit to the badness out here. It's beyond reckless out here. And you know what? That pretty much sums it up in a few words. There's no limit to the badness out here. It's beyond reckless. My question, though, is why did we let it get this way? And I don't blame the police, but I I do. I blame a system. I blame a district attorney's office that is not aggressive when dealing with this. I blame judges that bend over backwards trying to return dangerous people to the street. And, I mean, I just love that phrase. There's no limit to the badness out here. And that person is absolutely right. Well, my question is, when are we going to say enough is enough? And when are we going to say to people, if you are responsible for that badness, fine, don't pass go, don't collect $200, and don't expect to be back out on the streets anytime soon. It's 2.55. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.